Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and I'm joined today by my father. I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hello, my name is Dr. Hernandez. I'm a double board certified American psychiatrist. We hope that you enjoyed our last episode when we discussed substance abuse and serious mental illness. Please go check that out if you haven't already. That is part two of a discussion that we've already started talking about. And today we want to have, I feel like, an overdue conversation on stigma in mental health and mental illness and just how much stigma affects the quality of care and the type of care someone or anyone in this country um, has access to. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to my dad about and ask him, uh, what do you think is one of the most... Uh, what do you think is one of the most stigmatizing things about mental health in this country as it stands right now? Well, it's important to note that about one third of seriously mentally ill patients do not receive care in the United States. I'm not sure what the figures are throughout the world, but I'm, I'm guessing that they must be along those same rates. It's also important to note that 90% of patients that suffer from substance use disorders also do not re receive uh, treatment in the United States. And one of the barriers has been noted by experts to be stigma. Do you think the stigma revolving mental health and mental illness has grown even bigger or has it have we seen it kind of dwindle down compared to, let's say, when you were my age? Well, the barriers, I think, to a certain extent, have been reduced or coming down, if you will. So there have been efforts by healthcare professionals to identify stigma and those factors and issues that keep patients from getting the the care that they're that they should. Are supposed to be receiving. So what is an example of that in terms of like how do how does stigma actualize itself in real life when it comes to receiving care for someone that needs it? I think there's a, a close interrelationship between respect and stigma. Moreover, there's a relationship between self-respect and self-stigma as well. And by that, I mean that it's been identified that when there's a community that sort of views mental illness or substance use disorders related to maybe character flaws or some sort of deviance, people start internalizing that. And that brings down their self-esteem. And when you do that, you find yourself being unworthy of getting treatment. So I think that's a key here. And we will talk a little bit more of, about respect and how this relates to this topic. What do you think has caused such intense prejudice and like the word we're using today, stigma? Like, what do you think has contributed to there being such a, like, almost like, smoke and mirrors when it comes to d 
discussions on mental health, what do you think has like driven people to like shy away from the topic or not take it seriously or kind of look down upon it? What con- What's the contributing factor to that? Shame is one of the factors. Uh, no one's proud to say that they have a family member that suffers from schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or any other mental disorder. But at the same time, you shouldn't be ashamed to talk about it either because their illnesses like any other illnesses and you're, you're not going to blame anybody for having suffered from a disease. Uh, diseases are ubiquitous. Anybody can suffer from one. And there's it doesn't make any sense to point fingers because somebody's sick. Uh, we all have the right to be patient and to get sick because we're human beings. Um, but again, uh, there's this sense that somebody's flawed, that something's wrong with them, that they're defective because they have an illness. And that simply isn't right. How does stigma affect patient care? It can affect patient care in several ways. And one is the attitude that healthcare providers have of someone who suffers from mental illness or they suffer from a substance use disorder. And it's, it's important to, to share with our colleagues that we do need to respect our patients and our patients are human beings, obviously, that suffer from certain conditions that at times, as we pointed out earlier, seem to be uh, secondary to uh, some sort of conduct or character or value issues. But this is not true. Uh, we already know that there's definitely some genetic and neurobiological underpinnings that cause both uh, serious mental illness and substance use disorders. So we know that it's not because the patients are weak uh, in any in any way, shape, or form. They have illnesses that they did not bring on themselves, and they merit respect. And, and I think that's the key here, that we can't refer to someone as being uh, schizophrenic or being an alcoholic. No, we're talking about patients that suffer from a history of schizophrenia or they have an alcohol use disorder. Uh, because when we talk about our patients in this way, it's more conducive to therapy, to treatment, to getting better, to recovery, as opposed to categorizing them as being these individuals that have uh, uh, something wrong with them as who they are as human beings. And that poses the barrier right there. So uh, in, in our setting, as you know, it's an inner city hospital. And it's important for us to treat every individual patient with the utmost of respect because that's something that they're not really used to being out in the, you know, many of them are homeless, as you know, but we, we need to tell them that there are, they are valued patients to us and that they mean something to us, that their care is important to us. And we try to instill that spirit throughout their stay in the hospital 
so that they can know that we are genuine about the care that we're providing for them. And I think that goes a long ways in helping patients get better. Do you think patients uh, internalize the way their healthcare providers treat them and how they uh, go about talking to them about whatever illness it is that they're suffering from? Do you think that like, if their doctor's attitude or the nurse's attitude is just not the friendliest or doesn't feel the safest, do you think that, one, they feel that, and two, does that affect how and how f- if they get better? Well, I think it's clear that patients can't perceive the attitude that their caregiver has. It's, it's uh, pretty evident if someone is looking at somebody in a caring way or in a not-so-caring way, patients will, will understand that they'll, they'll feel that. And if you're a healthcare provider and if you have a negative attitude towards that patient that's suffering, then that's going to affect the care that you render. And again, the patients will, will be able to see that, they'll feel that. And, and, and as a healthcare provider, you have to question yourself if you're even in the right field, if that's the attitude you're going to have. So uh, I think it's a really delicate matter, and it does affect uh, the patients. And, and as clinicians, as caregivers, we have to re- remind ourselves continuously that we're in the field to help patients. We're there for them. And it's not the other way around. Just like teachers are there for students, we're, as, as healthcare providers, we're there for our patients. I know, I think we were talking about this um, not too long ago, how there's like a wait list for therapists right now. And I think that just go- shows just a sector of like how backed up the mental health system is if there's a wait list for something as baseline as therapy how do you think that reflects do you think that is a reflection of the health the mental health care system as a whole in terms of how quick patients can get access to care and let's say they get access to care is it quality care uh, who's you know providing these services for them? Do they have a good attitude about it, or are they just in it for personal gain? And how do you, how can patients navigate that type of environment? Well, my sense is that most clinicians, most doctors, most nurses, most therapists—they're in it for the absolutely right reasons. And it says a lot that despite stigma, that people are still crowding the mental health clinics because despite the attitudes that others may have about them or their illness, they're still suffering so much that they don't even care and they still go and get treatment. Though it's important to point out that there's a significant amount of patients that suffer from an alcohol use disorder say that if they perceive that the community does not tolerate that behavior or that 
use of alcohol, they won't get treatment and they'll isolate. And of course, that further compounds or worsens their, their, their issue. So what's the language? You kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. What is the language that we should be using when talking about people that have sus- substance abuse disorders and alcoholism? And is should it be phrased like drug misuse, alcohol misuse, uh, things of that nature? Yes, it's and it's interesting because Dr. Nora Volkoff in her, re- in her recent blog talked about how they're actually considering changing the name of the National Institute of Drug Abuse to reflect current perceptions um, because the word abuse has these negative connotations. And I know that in the UK, they, they, they use misuse. Uh, and we're in the DSM-5, uh, it's the word uh, abuse has been removed. And so other terms have been used to... Uh, give the, the proper connotation for these disorders. So careful wording is important. Again, I mentioned earlier that you don't want to refer to someone as an alcoholic. Uh, likewise, uh, you know, it's, it's when, said, when it's said that somebody committed suicide, it's like, well, somebody committed a crime. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's better to say that somebody survived a suicide attempt just like they survived cancer, they survived a heart attack, they survived a stroke. Uh, so those are the sort of the, the attitudes, the shifts that are occurring now that reflect more really what's going on as opposed to uh, pointing fingers and trying to make somebody uh, look as if they've uh, done something that they willfully, intentionally did that was bad. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. And like just my thoughts right now are kind of thinking about like if you break a bone, you go to the doctor and they put a cast on it and they tell you, oh, rest, do this, do that. And it's like taken seriously because it's a broken bone. You could physically see it. But then when it comes to like your brain, you would think, you know, arguably the brain is the most important organ in the body. So you could argue that if something is wrong mentally, that should be taken, if not as serious, more serious than, let's say, a broken bone because your brain is where everything happens. It's your central system. And to think that having a mental illness, such as like bipolar disorder or anything along those lines is not taken as seriously I think it should be taken even more seriously because you can't see it which makes it kind of scarier to think that there could be something going on with you that you can't physically visibly see straight off the bat when you first look at a person well I think your point is well taken in the sense that if you have a fracture you can see it on an x-ray it's something that's tangible that you can see Whereas depression, on the other hand, is more is abstract, and sometimes you have families that think that somebody's just not motivated because they're lazy, they don't want to do it, that they can sort of will themselves out of a depression. And of course, there are a lot of things that a person can do to uh, when they're clinically depressed to help themselves. We've talked about that 
exercise, diet, mindfulness, uh, fasting even, heat therapy. But sometimes the, prof- the, the depression is so severe that you are going to require therapy and maybe even medication. So um, it's, but again, to a family or to a lay person, you think, well, you know, they just, you can snap out of it. You can talk your way out of it. It's just, you don't want to do it. And so then there's a certain blame that goes with it. And, you know, guilt is a symptom of depression, right? So, um, and so is worthlessness. So at that point, a, a patient may start even feeling more guilty and worthless because they're being criticized by their support system where the opposite should be true. But again, that, that results from ignorance. And that's why there's this, you know, that's why we're we're talking about mental health awareness and we have to educate one another as to what mental illness is. And so um, I think uh, it's worthy of having this discussion for that for that purpose alone. Yeah, and I think even like like you said, the fact that we're even having this conversation, I feel like the stigma around mental health has really um, decreased a bit considering... And but I even think like in everyday language, like the way sometimes people speak about themselves can also like not be appropriate in terms of like they'll say, oh, like um, I'm crazy or insane, like they'll casually call themselves insane or someone else insane or oh, they're just psycho and kind of those type of comments like uh inflate the stigma in terms of what those words really mean to people um so that's just kind of something that i thought of you know what a simple word can can be a big deal there was in in dr vocal's blog she cites uh a study that they did at harvard with uh doctoral level clinicians in which they presented clinical vignettes vignettes about uh, certain cases that, and all they did was change one word from calling somebody a substance abuser to somebody with a substance use disorder. And just that one word made clinicians up for criminalization for those that were termed abusers. So that's a fascinating study, I think. So we have to choose our words carefully because they do carry a lot of strength and a lot of power. That's going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode of 2020 Psych. Let me know if you have any comments or want to continue this discussion. Feel free to reach out to us. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you guys have a great day wherever you are.